Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. I want to give you some context to this message because I was planning on starting a series titled Follow Me. Uh, But the events of my week this last week and just listening to what uh, I began to feel the Lord saying he wanted to talk about this weekend, I'm pushing back the series that I'm really excited about. This series, Follow Me, is going to go all the way to Easter. And it's obviously about following Jesus. But this weekend, I'm going to go off topic. And if you're new here, what that means is this message has nothing to do with nothing. It's nothing to do with anything. I mean, it's not in a series. It stands alone. Off topic is something the Lord gave me years ago when I felt like he just wanted to break in and say something I wasn't planning on and hadn't studied for. Uh, This past week, Brad and I were in California for five days uh, in Southern California for a leadership intensive and uh, with a couple of of phenomenal uh, leadership coaches and it was a group of about 40 people and uh, just a a great time. We were all excited, uh, but we really didn't know what we were getting into. I was with Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Some of you might have heard of them. Uh, Absolutely godly men, but brilliant uh, psychoanalysts. And uh, so I had asked Henry in Dallas a couple months ago, I said, hey, uh, you you go to the best leadership stuff on the planet. And we're kind of at a place where, you know, Brad and I need to go to another level. The church, things are happening. And and we just, we don't want to get pulled. We want to try and get out ahead. I said, what should I do? He said, you need to go to this deal. John and I do it. It's not a plug. I've never seen anybody do anything like it. Just come. So Brad and I show up, and uh, I'm expecting to spend five days taking 10 pages of notes every two hours uh, listening to Henry and John teach. And so they have the first lecture on Monday, and then they say, now, after this lecture, uh, you're going to go into uh, private rooms with seven other people. Uh, And so here's your, your group Everybody break up and go to your room. So we go into our room. The chairs are in a circle. I have no idea what's going on. And there's a therapist sitting in the middle of the circle. And uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, trying to be laid back and just go with the flow. And, and uh, the therapist begins everything and, and basically says, uh, for the next four and a half days, uh, you're going to be doing 50% Uh, learning through lectures, and 50% learning through personal development. And one of the things Henry said was, leadership is 50% skill, leadership skill, and 50% personal skill. And he said, you can study all of the leadership principles on the earth, but you will still have a ceiling if you have some unresolved personal issues that you have pushed down that you don't want to deal with. Of course, what do I do when Henry says that? I don't have any push-down issues. <laughs> You're talking to everybody else. That's not me. I'm looking over at Brad going, that's you. <laughs> and in the group, uh, the therapist just starts to lead. And what I realized was I was going to spend the next five days in group therapy. And I uh, had no earthly idea it was going down. And for lunch later that day, uh, I said to Henry, hey, uh, remember in Dallas a couple months ago when I asked you, you go to the best leadership stuff on the planet and, you know, 
what should I go do? And you said, come to this. And remember I told you that my number one strength is a learner and I love to learn. And every time you teach, take 10 pages of notes and that's what I want to do. Remember all that? He said, oh yeah, I remember. I said, well, well, you remember you told me to come to this? And he started grinning. He said, yeah, I remember. I said, uh, uh, this is not what I expected. I said, Henry, you kind of lied to me, didn't you? And he started chuckling. He said, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you everything. He said, let me ask you this. Would you have come if I told you what it was? I said, absolutely not. But here's what I learned after five days. I learned some things about me that I had no idea about. And this is the Saturday night service. You know I'm going to be a little more emotional in this one because this is the first time I've had to talk about it. I want to share some things with you that involve me, but I believe can help you. And I don't think the Lord would ask me to share them if, if they couldn't help you. And I'm not going to ask you to turn to anything in your Bible. I just want you to read with me a lot of scripture tonight. But I want to share with you three things that I learned over the last five days. And uh, if I'm a little scatterbrained, I've been in group therapy for the last five days. <laughs> I gave Brad the weekend off, and he just had one off two weekends ago. I just said, bro, it's been a long week. And listen, then we're trying to fly home, and the legendary storm of all storms happens in Southern California. And so our flight is pushed back more than 24 hours. So I wasn't supposed to get home until now. So Brad and I decided yesterday uh, at 11 o'clock, we would just drive home. So after five days of, of uh, group therapy, Brad and I therapyized each other for five and a half hours on the way home. So I'm exhausted. I'm a little bit sensitive. All right. <laughs> but, but I think God's going to speak through this. All right. So let me share the first thing I learned this week, all right? And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And if you're not taking notes, I want you right now to decide you're going to take notes, okay? Here's the first thing I learned. I see you. I see you. Everybody wants to be seen. I'm reminded of this every time I go to my children's sporting events. And every child on the court at some point looks into the stands to see some family member, whether or not they just saw what they did. And I want to read you something in Genesis. It's actually one of the names that God allowed to be given to him. And it involves God seeing us. It's the story of Hagar, and, and I'll give you just a little bit of backdrop. Uh, Sarai has just run Hagar off. Remember the story. Sarai says, well, I can't get pregnant. Sleep with Hagar. Hagar uh, sleeps with Sarai's husband, and, and now Sarai's upset and sends her off and is upset and angry, and now Hagar's on the run. And I want you to see in Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 7, this encounter that she has. Genesis 16, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar aside, beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away, my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, 
You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone. I don't know that Hagar is getting excited about being the mother to Ishmael right now. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named, I have no idea how to pronounce that, which means well of the living one who sees me. Can I just point something out? The angel of the Lord just says to Hagar, you're pregnant and I'm going to give you more descendants than you're ever going to be able to count. But this child is going to be a pain in the behind. He's going to be wild and untamed, out of control. He's going to be an enemy to his relatives. There's nothing encouraging in what she's hearing right now. How in the world are the next words out of Hagar's mouth? Is this the God who sees me? I'm going to give him a new name that I call him, this is the God who sees me. Everyone wants to be seen. And I don't know if there's anybody in this room who falls into the giver category where you just give and you give and you give and you give. And it never stops. You feel like a Pez dispenser. Everybody comes around and when they need something, They just tilt your head back and grab the pez out from your throat. They need wisdom. They need time. They need love. They need money. They need advice. They need help. And you just give and you give and you give and you give. And after years and years and years of giving out, Here's something I learned this week. It's possible to start thinking, no one sees me. They just see my stuff. They just see what I have to offer. They don't see me anymore. And here's what can happen if we're not careful. We begin to believe that because we don't think anybody else sees us, that God doesn't either. And Hagar has a revelation She's just been told she's going to give birth to a wild donkey. But clearly she had become convinced that God did not see her because when she got a glimpse and felt his glimpse in her direction, she could not help but to say, oh my word, is this truly the God who sees me? Did I just see 
the God who sees me. I want to read you a very special passage to me out of Psalm 139. I didn't plan that my five foot nine little girl would be in this service, but this story involves her. And it's a revelation that changed my life. And if you're here and you'd say, I don't know if God sees me. I do everything I know to do. I'm always given as much as I can, but I, I just don't feel like God or anyone else sees me. They see my stuff. They see what I bring to the table, but I don't know if God sees me. I want you to listen to these words, and you may need to just close your eyes and not even read along on the screen with me, but if, if I'm talking to you right now, if the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now, just close your eyes for a minute, and I want you to listen to these words about God seeing you. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know every single time I sit down. Or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me, and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life, was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are God's thoughts about you? How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And listen to this next part. And when I wake up, you are still with me. I remember years ago, I was feeling a little bit overlooked. I was feeling like one of those people, giving out, giving out, giving out. And everybody just noticed what I was giving out. And nobody noticed me. It wasn't a pity party. 
We all want to be noticed. And I don't just mean noticed as in, oh, hey. But God created us to be known, to be seen. And I remember one day I walked into my daughter's room. She was probably three at the time with curly blonde hair about this long and glow-in-the-dark blue eyes. I walked into the room. She was still asleep. I was going to work pretty early that day. And I went to kiss her on the forehead, and I started crying. I kissed her, and I looked at her, and I said to the Lord, out of all the daddies in the history of the world, I cannot believe you gave me to her. Out of all of the little girls in the history of the whole white world, I still cannot get over the fact that when I asked for only one little girl, I got this one. And I was just having a holy moment. And of course, what does God do in the middle of a holy moment? He interrupts it. And I felt the Lord say, Son, do you realize that I do this in your room every day of your life? David figured it out. And when I wake up, you're still standing there staring at me. And if you're here today, and you don't feel like anyone notices you. I don't care right now in this moment about anybody else in this room. I want you to know that the God of the universe sets a chair next to your bed and stares at you all night long. There's not a moment of your life he doesn't see. Don't you dare believe the lie that no one sees you. The God of the universe, he's not watching you. Sometimes we think about God seeing us and it has this tone, I'm watching you. Like just waiting for us to do something wrong. I'm watching you. No, God's not watching you. God sees you. And I was reminded of that this week. Hagar reminded me, we serve a God who constantly sees us. The deepest parts of our heart. Here's the second thing I learned this week. Unplug the judge. Unplug the judge. They taught us this week that Every human being has inside of their brain what they call a prosecutorial judge, an inner judge. And typically, really driven people have really strong judges. Also, people who battle immense shame have really strong judges. Well, they're teaching about this, and honestly, to be very truthful, 
I'm taking notes for other people. I wasn't thinking of someone else. I promise I wasn't thinking about you, but I was just thinking, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm driven and I mean, I, I, I got a little bit of a judge in there that pushed me a little bit further, but you know, this, this is good stuff. I, this is going to help a lot of people. <laughs> and later that day, and to, to some of you, uh, if you don't understand uh, biblical therapy, not biblical counseling, but therapy based on theology, psychoanalytics and theology, uh, what I'm about to tell you may sound a little weird, may sound crazy. But they had us do an exercise in one of the afternoon group therapy sessions. And one of the things that during this week, I learned very early on that at some point, they're going to ask you to sit down in front of a chair of the one person you don't want to talk to. So I'm building up in my mind how I'm going to have to have this conversation. So we get to this one day, I think it was Wednesday, and I'm thinking, today's my day. They're going to make me sit in front of an empty chair and talk to someone and have a hard conversation I really don't want to have. So I'm building myself up. And the therapist in that, that session pulls the chair into the middle of the circle, and I thought, here we go. He's going to say, it's Preston's turn. And he says, uh, we're going to do something. And Preston, I'm going to ask you to stand up, come behind this chair. I'm thinking, hold, hold on just a sec. This is not how it goes. I'm supposed to get to see the invisible person in the chair. He said, I want you to come stand behind the chair and put your hands on the chair. And I want you to pretend that you are the one in the chair. And I want you to start a conversation with yourself. Now listen, under most other circumstances, I would be in that room thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. But God was there. He said, I want you just to start the conversation by saying some things that you appreciate about you. Well, I immediately started crying. And I said, you really are doing a good job. And I lost it. He said, okay, now I want you to begin telling yourself the things that frustrate you about you. I said, well, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> and I just started unloading. I sit down after it's done, and he said, of course, what all therapists say. How are you feeling right now? <laughs> now I can tell you this, but I didn't tell my small group this or the therapist. I was thinking, I want to punch you right now. <laughs> I don't want to talk about how I feel right now. He said, what's going through your mind? I said, I'm 38, about to be 39. I just realized for the first time in my entire life that probably almost every day of my life I beat the ever-loving fire out of myself. How does a person get to 38 and not know that? There's good to it because it drives me, but there's something wrong if everything I seek to accomplish is to prove something. 
There's nothing wrong if everything I seek to accomplish is because he told me to accomplish it. But sometimes I get confused between the two. And I have this judge in my head. Every message I preach, I could tell you everything I just did wrong. I get up and I stand in front of people and I say, I don't need you to tell me that I do a great job afterwards. And I realized this week, I've got an out of control judge. I read scriptures like 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. And I use it against myself. It's not enough, Preston, you gotta do more. You, you gotta figure this out over here. How come you don't know this? I don't tell anyone about it and I don't, certainly don't whine about it. I just hold it in. I read Galatians chapter six, verse four, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in one another, for each one shall bear his own load. I don't even get to the rejoicing in himself alone. There are some special moments that have happened in this church, milestone moments. And I've said to Brad, we need to go out and celebrate that. There was one in particular that happened several years ago. We celebrated it 14 months later. That's messed up. Who does that? This judge, can I explain something to those of you who judge yourselves? Because some of you are judging me right now going, he just seems really weak. That's okay. I think Jesus looked pretty weak on that cross. I'm pretty sure that was the greatest show of strength in all of human history. So you can point your finger at me and tell me I'm weak. Maybe that's because you're afraid to be. When I think about strength and weakness, when I think about this inner judge, I want to paint a picture for you. For those of you who beat up on yourselves, you don't tell anybody about it, but you're so hard on yourself, nothing is ever good enough. I want to paint a picture of the ugliest courtroom on the earth. Want to know what it looks like? You are the defendant. Here you are sitting over in, in this seat at this table, Right here, I think actually they sit on that side, but that's okay. You're the defendant. But you also happen to be the judge at the bench. But it gets worse. The ugliest courtroom on the earth, you also happen to be the prosecuting attorney. But we're not done. It gets even worse. You're also the jury. But it gets even worse. You're also the person who draws the picture of everybody in the courtroom and you make you look ugly. <laughs> the judge is looking at you, the defendant, going, I'm gonna render this verdict against you. The prosecuting attorney is you looking at you saying, I'm gonna make sure you're guilty. The jury is sitting over there going, we know you're guilty. Why are we even here? You just beat up on yourself. And if that's you, I have unbelievably great news for you today. God has given us an advocate. And the word advocate, one of the meanings 
is lawyer. It means to come in between, an intercessor, to stand in the middle of. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. If you beat yourself up, I've got great news for you. Jesus is your advocate. Yes, he stands before God in between you and God and says, my blood makes you not guilty. But I've got even better news. I think I learned this week something about this advocate of ours that I didn't understand. That this advocate named Jesus doesn't just get in in between us and God. This advocate named Jesus gets in between us and us. In the title of this message that I've waited 33 minutes to tell you about is Divine Intervention. Jesus doesn't just get in between me and God and say, you're not guilty. I learned this week, Jesus gets in between me and me. That when I start to try and beat myself up, when you start to try and beat yourself up, Jesus jumps into the middle of the fight and says, stop it. You stop this. I can show it to you in scripture, Romans chapter eight, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? That includes us. One way to say that, and I say this to my children, when my boys fight, I've said to to one of them before, do you think I would let anyone punch my son at school? No, sir, I don't think you'd ever let anyone punch your son. Then what makes me think I'd let you punch my son? Okay, this is what we're reading. I believe one of the things God is saying is, listen, if I'm for you, No one can be against you, including yourself. Verse 32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. Don't just think about Satan, the accuser of the brethren. The question is, who dares accuse us. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, including you, condemning yourself. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus is our advocate, and it doesn't just mean he gets in the middle of us and God. I believe it also means sometimes he jumps into the middle between us and us. Listen to one more passage. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty, if we feel guilty. God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. I could teach on that for an hour and a half. You can beat yourself up all day long. Listen to what the Bible says. Even if you do feel guilty after beating yourself up, God is greater than your feelings, 
And God knows everything. In other words, God knows some of the other things you should be beating yourself up about. That you're not, that you forgot. He knows everything. And he still says, not only do I not beat you up, I'm not going to let you do it to you either. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. Do you know what 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 means? That one of the top things that keeps people from going into God's presence is when they become judge, when they become the prosecutor, when they become the jury, and they all point in unison and say, you're guilty. Do you have a judge that no matter what you do, you just beat up on yourself and it's never good enough? You don't need the accuser of the brethren. You've made that your number one goal in life is to accuse yourself, to beat up on yourself every day. Now, some of you in this room are thinking, I'm strong, I don't beat up on myself. Okay. I thought that same thing. Sometimes when we convince ourselves we are strongest, it's actually because we're afraid of how weak we really feel. One of the things I learned this week is just unplug the judge. When you find yourself beating on yourself, saying it's not good enough, listen to me, we're stepping into a works-based theology. And if you want to talk about works, let me give you one. The finished work of the cross. Here's the third and last thing. Be strong. Be strong. I know what some of you are thinking after some tears, after some vulnerability. It sounds like Preston is just feeling a little weak. Been there, not there, but been there. Been a long time since I've been there. You know what Preston needs? Preston just needs to be strong. Somebody in this room might actually be thinking, I feel like God is telling me to give Preston a scripture. And at the end of the service, I'm going to read to him Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. <laughs> Be strong and courageous, Preston, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Let me say it again. Be strong, Preston, and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know what I learned this week? I think I actually learned what strength looks like. Who taught you what strength looks like? Is it a coach? Is it a teacher? Is it a parent? Professor? Grandparent? Friend? Who taught you what strength looks like. Is it a tone? Is it a look? 
Is it a posture? Is it a phrase? What does strength look like? Who taught you what it looks like? See, many of us have learned what strength looks like from people who do not have all strength. See, I've come across people who walk into a room and they have this posture and they have this look and they know these phrases and they walk in letting everybody in the room know they're the strong one. But you know what I've learned? If you don't have all strength, you're not that strong. Let me ask you a question. Is God all-powerful? Does he have all power? Is that what the Bible says? That he's omnipotent. Does he have all power? Yes. Okay, if God has all power, he's the only one who is truly strong. The rest of us are just weak. That actually comforts me. Now, I don't walk around. Listen, I'm not going to stand up every weekend of my life for the rest of my life and say, I'd like to start this message off by saying, I'm so weak. I can't do this. I'm not talking about that kind of weakness. That's fear. Who taught you about strength? I want to show you something in Scripture that might help you understand what strength looks like. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming proud, Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, he is strong. Sometimes I have a problem. I convince myself that one of the top responsibilities of this job is to be strong. Because some nights, I become concerned that if people think I'm too weak to do this job, that I won't be able to do it. It's one of the many things that in the past I used to beat myself up about. Brad asked me a question this week during our six-hour counseling drive back home. He said, why do you beat yourself up so much? He said, because I'm afraid to let God down. I hope one of my kids never says that to me. I'm afraid to let God down. So sometimes when I'm scared and sometimes when I'm really feeling weakest. I conjure up in my heart as much strength. I go into my prayer closet and wrestle with the Lord because I got to get stronger. That's what I convince myself of. And when Brad asked me that question, why do you beat yourself up? And I said, because I'm afraid to let the Lord down. 
He said, why are you always trying to be strong? I said, because sometimes I'm afraid to be too weak. And in that very moment, I felt the Holy Spirit as though he were relaying a message from the God of the universe, my heavenly Father. I felt the Lord say, Preston, I have all strength. I do not need yours. I lost. Maybe you're awesome and strong and you don't need to hear this. Maybe there's just one person who needs to. I know you're trying to be strong. I know going through this divorce, you're trying to tell everybody you're fine and you're going to be okay. And I know you're all right, but I know you're hurting a little bit in the inside. But I hope you hear God saying to you, he does not need your strength. It's okay to be weak. Because it's then that he gets to be all strength in your life. This is the first time I've preached through this message this weekend. That's rare. Usually by this service, I've preached through the message four or five times. Don't know how this service is about to end. I'm 11 minutes longer than I wanted to be. The children's ministry is probably mad at me right now. <laughs> Kids don't sound mad. But I've got one simple question that I want to ask you. Maybe these three things that I talked about you don't struggle with. Maybe you don't do these things to yourself. But I felt there was one burning question God wanted to ask every person in this room right here, right now. I think he wants you to ask you, what am I doing to me that Jesus is trying to get me to stop? What am I doing to me that Jesus wants to get into the middle of and say, stop hurting yourself. Are you hiding from love? Are you acting out and being rebellious just to try to get attention and be seen? Are you judging yourself constantly, beating yourself up even when everybody tells you you're doing a great job? Are you trying to be strong even though you feel weak? What are you doing to you that Jesus would love to get into the middle of and stop you from doing ever again? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment. And I want our altar ministry team, if you're on the outside of your section, if you can just come forward. If you're not, just wait a moment. I don't want you to interrupt anybody. But wherever you are, I want you just to take a moment and ask that question. Where am I hurting me? Where in my life am I punishing myself? What am I doing to me that Jesus wants me to stop? In a moment when I'm done praying, 
the Holy Spirit is putting something on your heart, you feel your heart racing a little bit and you know Jesus does not want you to fall asleep tonight and wake up tomorrow and do this to you again. That's how you know. He wants you to deal with it right now. He wants it to end right now. He wants to take the knife out of your hand that you keep using to inflict self-inflicted wounds upon yourself. When I'm done praying, if the Holy Spirit's put in something on your heart, I'm going to ask you to have some boldness and come say that to someone at the front of this room. And listen to me closely. And this altar ministry team is listening to me. They are not your counselors. They're not here to give you counsel. I don't want our team counseling people in this moment. That's not what this is for. The Holy Spirit is the counselor in this moment. I just want you to listen, team, and I want you to pray the prayer the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. That's it. And if you're here tonight and you feel Jesus reaching for that knife, when I'm done praying, I want you to get up and I want you to come lay that knife down on the altar of the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment for every person in this room, even if there's just one, which I know there's not, but even if there is, Jesus, you love every one of them and you love that one. You died for them and you wanna take that knife away from them. You took their wounds and you're tired of seeing them wound themselves. Holy Spirit, would you give them the courage just like you gave me this week in front of seven strangers to lay down my knife. Comfort every person. Take the knife from every bleeding heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, and Matt leads us in one more song, I don't care what time it is, I don't care how long we've gone. I want you just to close your eyes. But if you sense Jesus reaching for your knife, I want you to leave your seat and come lay it down. Come confess that thing to somebody, which just means to say it. Just tell them, lay that knife at the altar of God. Do not keep doing this to yourself. Let the advocate get in between you and you. And if you don't need to come pray with somebody, just close your eyes. And let's have a pure and holy moment alone in God's presence. Let's worship. You put everything back to its right place. All you're doing is doing it now, God, and you put everything back into its right place. Oh, come do it right now. Come do it right now. It's extravagant. It doesn't make sense. I'll never comprehend. 
before you leave after I dismiss you can come do that maybe you want to pray with somebody maybe you just want to come and kneel in the presence of the Lord but if you need to lay down a knife please don't leave tonight with it still hiding in your jacket don't leave tonight with it still hiding in your purse God I thank you for these people all of the boys in the history of the world who could be standing right here, right now. God, I can't believe it gets to be me. These people are amazing. And I know you know that. But God, I love them. And I'm grateful for them. And I ask that as they leave this place tonight, that you would rip open the windows of heaven and that you would overwhelm them in every area of their lives. I pray, God, that you would chase down every person they love. Those that don't know you, God, I pray that you chase them down with your love and help them find your face and know your love. I pray, God, wherever there's a lack, wherever they have a need, that, Lord, you'd render them speechless as you meet it. God, I pray that the number one way that you would bless them so that they would hear your voice more clearly than ever before. As they rest their head on their pillows tonight, God, may they see your face, may they hear your heart, may they be comforted by your words, and when they wake up, may the revelation hit them between the eyes that you are still there staring at them. Bless them as they leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.